the people that the customer is going to trust are going to be the people that are enabling their success with the platform day to day. And so we've really, over the last 18 months, evolved significantly the way customer success is integrated in with sales and marketing so that we can have a more holistic view of the customer relationship. And it ends up being a win-win for everybody. Welcome to RevOps Champions, a podcast designed for revenue professionals looking to advance sales and marketing initiatives through the role of RevOps within their organizations. In each episode, we feature leaders who are leveraging technology to drive operational efficiency, revenue, and improve the customer experience. Listen in and learn how to become a better RevOps leader within your own organization. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of RevOps Champions. I'm Brendan Denewell and this episode is brought to you by Dynamico, a company that provides sales, marketing, and customer service technology solutions to businesses who not only, not only believe in the importance of embracing technology as a foundation for scaling and, and growth, but also that what got them to where they are is not going to get them to where they're going. A core belief of RevOps Champions and Dynamico is that every business, no matter what industry they're in, thinks like a technology company. We believe that one of the fastest ways to disrupt an industry and win market share is by providing the same technology-driven customer experience that every consumer has become accustomed to now and now expects. My guests today just happen to be founders of a technology company, so I challenge all of you to take some lessons from them, whether you're a tech or software company or not. Today, my guests are Scott Littman, co-founder and managing partner of Lucy, and Dan Mellon, co-founder and CEO of Lucy. Scott and Dan, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having us. Looking forward to the chat. Great to be here. Okay, to give our audience some background on yourselves, can you tell us about why you started the business and the powerful technology that is Lucy, and also a bit about your respective roles at Lucy when you started and today? Yeah, I'll, I'll lead off. So, you know, we began this journey about five and a half years ago. And Dan and I have been business partners for pretty much most of our adult lives. As entrepreneurs, it's our fifth venture. And the commonality we've always had is everything has been in some form of marketing services, marketing technology, ad tech. And we're always looking for the next big thing. And we had just successfully sold our prior business about five and a half years ago, a Magnet 360 to Mind Tree out of India, where we had built a leading edge consultancy in the Salesforce world, uh, really combining sales and marketing data and doing really innovative things for large companies. And we just fell right into this idea that, you know, what's next? We're always, you know, looking for what's next. And in the case of Lucy, we were looking at how can AI play a role in large enterprises at allowing information to be found. You know, if you think about every company is experiencing a growth in the data that they own or license and that's available to them. But just because you have more data doesn't mean that you can actually use that data, that you can find the answers that you need. And we felt that this was a problem that could be solved in, through automation, ultimately through automation driven by AI. And so we began the journey, you know, building early proof of concepts and pilots. And, you know, from there started to, you know, query customers, feel their pain, understand their problems, make sure that what we were seeing from a visionary side as being 
you know, a part of the market going forward was actually what the market was feeling and, you know, understanding, you know, there's a problem to solve. Is it a valuable enough one that people want it solved? And so, yeah, that's, that's where we, you know, that's where we began in all of this. Thank you, Scott. You know, it, it, it's, it's great when we share 20 plus years of history. So I think Scott has, has shared what we're, what we're up to. We're just so excited to, to be able to bring, you know, new tech forward and, and really help and innovate uh, and make businesses more competitive uh, by using, you know, the things that we get to do every day. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's, and, and of course, helpful to sort of set the stage here. So Dan, before we talk more about Lucy specifically, I've been itching to ask you what you're seeing right now with regards to the level of the level and, and velocity of investment by mid-market and larger businesses in technology as a way for them to stay competitive and scale. Do you think businesses outside of the software space are, are doing it, in other words, adopting it as quickly as you would expect? Uh, you know, it, it's an interesting thing just, to, you know, in normal times. And here we have COVID and questions about, the, you know, all the things happening in businesses. There was a dip immediately as, as the, you know, pandemic uh, hit. But what we're seeing is people are have come back. They're adopting technology. They're realizing that uh, this hybrid workspace, the, the mechanisms of how we're going to do business going forward really require more from us than than the previous iterations and and through that we we need to be able to you know leverage technology and so the investments are are on the upswing in lots of ways from from where we were sitting before yeah if i can supplement that pre-pandemic we started to see an increase in rfps and rfis into this knowledge space that's driven by ai we saw companies exploring it where a year or two earlier they hadn't. And then we had really almost a four-month freeze when the world went into lockdown and mm-hmm. everybody's you know working from home. But out of that, the pandemic has been an accelerator because all of a sudden, as a business, you're trying to figure out, all right, how do we support people working in remote locations? How do we support people working from home? How do we use you know technology to accomplish what has become required so that we can be efficient and do business? You know, what was a nice-to-have has become a must have. And, you know, if you think about like for our technology where we're helping to, you know, create greater access to all of the organ or all of the information a company has for a given role or responsibility, you know, water cooler talk is gone. The, you know, passing time between meetings is gone. And that ability, hey, if I can just grab Dan for five minutes, well, you know, that's now a it's a message on Slack or Teams or it's an email. And how do you, you know, increase that access to information or availability of information? And it's technology that is supplementing that. Awesome. Thank you. And then, Scott, so while we have you, so you and I spoke recently about how businesses who are not, you know, in the software and technology space are and can grow their market share significantly by rethinking their traditional go-to-market strategy and, and how they would most likely benefit considerably if they started to think more like technology companies, no matter what industry they're in, and and how technology companies go to market. Do you have any thoughts as to why you think this would work well and how you might go about doing it if you were in their shoes? In other words, if you were leading a company that was not in the technology space, what would you do to leverage technology? Yeah, well, I mean, 
I think one of the themes that Dan and I have had over 20 years is that all companies are now technology companies. You know, if you think about it, there was the earliest era of the web where it's like, oh, look at these new startup companies and what they're doing online. But, you know, if you're in, if you're E-Trade or, you know, Ameritrade in the online space, pretty soon you've, you know, if you're Schwab, you have to be a great technology company to compete against the technology companies. A Wells Fargo, a U.S. bank has to be great with their online presence. And then if you're the small community bank, you're stuck with, I don't get to hide behind I'm the small community bank. I have to provide tools commensurate to Wells Fargo or otherwise people are going to say I get to go there. And the same thing happens in retail. You know, everybody has to compete against Amazon, which is unfair because of the technology they have. But the thing is, it means that we're all technology companies. And so as I think about like in the next era that became personalization on websites, everybody had to catch up. Then you look at the next era of marketing automation and Every business, and whether you're selling a B2B SaaS or whether you're selling, you know, shirts made overseas to U.S. consumers, it's all driven by, you know, online. It's all driven by sophisticated marketing automation. And the more you know your customer and the better you're able to capture data about a transaction, whether it's B2B or B2C, whatever it is, the more you're able to increase your wallet, grow your business. And so we're all forced whether we are digital companies or not, in terms of our output, to be digital companies in how we manage data and how we market and how we drive um, optimization and growth. And if we don't, we will fall, you know, businesses simply fall behind. Yeah, awesome. Thank you, Scott. So, Dan, back to Lucy. So, so here at Dynamico, we believe that in, a, in addition to the table stakes of a well-researched you know, market, clear mission, a solid plan, great people, and a strong culture, the, the lifeblood of the high-growth modern business is three things, data, process, and technology. So that's how, how we think and how we help our clients at, at Dynamico. I know that data, primarily unstructured data, was what you, Scott, and, and Mark identified as the big recurring issue that the three of you saw as an opportunity to help fix. Can you tell us more about how the data issues show up and how Lucy is part of the solution to managing all of that data? Uh, absolutely. You know, it's interesting because when people talk about data, they talk about big data. Um, they talk, and, and even inside of that, you know, operating system, uh, data process and technology, they're usually talking about data, metrics, measurable, you know, data that's collected and then uh, used in various ways to make better business decisions, all those. But in a world, it's really structured data, data that's in the database. How, how does my pipeline look? How does my, you know, wh what is that number? What is our closed one? What are the percentages? What are these calculated things that help us operate our business better? What Lucy focuses on is data that is usually dark to those systems. It's completely unavailable. It's the type of data that has been converted into knowledge and data that is created from, you know, again, from systems, but interpreted, put into a PowerPoint, written into a report and in a PDF or a Word document. And it's data that once created, we've spent a lot of money to create it. We literally put it on a file server and don't touch it again ever. 95, 98% of the data isn't touched after 90 days in this kind of unstructured data or document repositories. And what Lucy does is she says, hey, just 
connect me connect me to so it's a great process also nobody has to do anything we just connect lucy to it uh, to those data repositories and then she reads listens watches all of the content that's in, on those repositories and then allows people to just ask questions and get answers from the repository and so you know the types of knowledge that exist inside of a inside of a corporation, inside of a company, really at any level or any scale, exists and has been converted into PowerPoints, PDFs, and Word documents, being able to access not only the things that are on my hard drive or in my storage space, but my coworker space, my other, my entire department, my division, other divisions, other departments, and then being able to ask questions of those repositories and get answers, get access and then and quickly be able to make better decisions quickly to be able to determine if something else needs to be done and and certainly spend less money and time doing the types of research that knowledge workers do every day yeah no that's that, that is awesome and I, and I think you know one of the things that we've we've seen also as we you know roll out these these integrated technology solutions that the you know the benefits are, are both on the on the upside, in other words, they help you generate better revenue faster. But then, of course, also on the on the bottom, when it comes to the bottom line, you you, you talked about the efficiencies and, and the savings, where you have Lucy doing the work of you know who knows how many people, and of course, it depends on the on the organization. And that's again one of the great things that you know there are very few businesses that or, or solutions that have that where the solution is both top line and and bottom line. In other words, yeah. it helps you generate more revenue and helps you generate more revenue more profitably by being more efficient. Awesome. So, but obviously, you know, this, so this this five and a half year journey so far, I'm sure, has been plain sailing for <laughs> for both of you, and has been without struggles. Uh, but so, but more seriously, you know, can you? Show, share with us, and, and of course, when we're when we're talking, you know, when when I'm talking to a technology company like like yourselves, it's always it's always a little weird because first, on the one hand, you're providing an incredible technology solution, but but obviously, you're also running a business that has to use technology to drive your own sales, marketing, and, and customer yes. service. But you know, so and and you can go down either of those paths. I'm I'm fine either way, but. The, the obstacles that you've seen either with the adoption of of Lucy or the obstacles that you've seen on on the sales and on your own sales and marketing side as you've been trying to connect with with customers for Lucy. Well, let's let's do them both. I'll I'll start with the challenge of the journey. You know, for Dan and I, we are experienced entrepreneurs. You know, we've built Inc. 500 companies. We've been ENY Entrepreneurs of the Year. You know, we've been there and done that before. And yet, each journey has its own challenges. And you know, if you think that you know, you look down the road and there's there's ten giant potholes. And with experience, you know, as we drive down the road, we get to we get to skip six or seven of them because hey, I, I've seen that one before. I know how to get around it. But Every journey has new potholes and new challenges. And as much as we built, you know, a plan and, you know, and you can, you know, you can kind of draw a straight line from, you know, bottom left to top right about how it's all supposed to work. They never work that way. They all look like some twisted turning, you know, zigzaggy up and down and there's, you know, successes and failures. And so no matter how much one has 
done it before with experience, no matter how much you build a great team, and we're really excited about the team we've built, as much as you can have great partners and, and all of that, there are going to be things that are just, you know, it's never easy. There's always challenges to it. And I would say in this particular one, one of our biggest uh, challenges is just that we, we usually join the market when we discover the leading edge thing that's about to go mainstream. And how do we help people with that early adoption? And we didn't know it on this one, but we joined at the tail end of the bleeding edge or the very earliest side of the, of the leading edge. And it's a, it's a different part of the market. And we were, we were along with that is the challenge that you don't know who you're competing with because when you're in the early market, everybody's building new widgets. It's not like there's established competition to aim at. And so it's really required a lot of brinksmanship and navigation to figure out how do you strike that balance of a maturing market delivering a capability the market needs that it doesn't know it needs because it never had that capability before. And then how do you make sure you tie it to your revenue goals as you go? And how do you listen to customers and make sure that you're hitting all the right spots? And so it's been the most interesting of our journeys, but it's also been more challenging than we would have expected going in because there just have been a lot of new challenges to go with them. Dan, I don't know if you, know, you want to supplement that, but, but it's, you know, I feel like we've had all the classic entrepreneurial challenges because it's an emerging early stage market. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's a right. really, really cool technology. From, from the moment we came up with our first kind of alpha proof of concept, we have been blowing people's minds on what Lucy can do, right? So that part is really easy. The harder part was, okay, we've blown your minds, but how do I implement that in my company? Am I ready? We've, you know, always been, um, or we, we were dragging people across at the, at the beginning. And early on, while Lucy was cool, she really wasn't as good as she is today. And in the last, uh, I'll call it the last couple years of this journey, she's gone from being cool to being absolutely mind-blowing successful in what we're trying to do, where she she pinpoints the answer she gets you to the right place she allows you to quickly scan through again a whole series of repositories or data sources or different places and quickly boom 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 and i can move and do things and you know again companies five years ago were testing proving out dipping their toes it was you know, innovation groups that would didn't even have a path to deployment. They would just try it. They would find successes, but then they wouldn't buy or wouldn't expand. So we we had, you know, we had lots of implementations of 10 users, and now we have lots of implementations of thousands of users. And that, uh, that difference is really, uh, you know, the, the company's ability to, to adapt, roll out and, and leverage the, the technology versus dipping toes in new technology. Yeah, it's, and it's interesting that, you know, so, well, sort of back to what, what Scott was saying also, that, you know, new journeys have new potholes, which again is part of the core belief that I, that I mentioned at the, at the beginning here, which is, you know, what got you to where you are isn't going to get you to where you're going. But the other irony, again, for, for those of us in the technology space, is that a lot of these changes, of course, are caused by technology. So that so evolution of technology is what's changing the behavior of con consumers in the B2C and B2B world. And, you know, it's and we're having to deal with those those changes in technology the same way that people who are not in the technology space. That is a it's a tremendous observation. And 
the you know if you look at in the public market the growth of data you look at the amount of data that's you know there's studies that say or there's data that says that the amount of data being created is growing exponentially that you know if it took you know a thousand years to get to a certain set of data that with the advent of the internet you know within a couple of years all of a sudden you know you you doubled and that's been going on ongoing it's like moore's law where there's just this increase and it is driven because of technology but then all of a sudden you have a problem that I have all this data and just because my company owns and licenses, it's expected it's available to me. But if I can't find it or if I have to spend all afternoon, I mean, here's the, you know, we see queries every day where somebody, you know, is saying I'm looking for, you know, the, the Gen Z trends in the soft drink market in the European market. And, you know, with Lucy, uh, one of our customers does that. And, you know, within 30 seconds, they have, you know, 10 studies or reports from different sources across the globe and filtering tools that allow them to hone in and get even more and more precise and do that sort of work in seconds. Without Lucy, they either would hire somebody to try figuring it out for them net new because they would think they don't have it, or they would log into one of 40 different systems with different logins and different interfaces and find collections of documents, open them, hit command F and do keyword searches. And it would take hours and hours and hours and they couldn't get it done right. Mm -hmm. And so the, the reason there is so much data is driven by technology. So now we need technology to get to the point where I actually can find what I need. To add to that, right. I mean, yeah. We're talking about these knowledge workers spending 20, 25% of their time looking for the answer. We've done studies with our customers and surveying of groups of hundreds of users saying, you know, how much time do you spend looking for data? How much of your week is? And it can, it can get to 20, 25% depending on the role. And it's a quest to find data they can't find. Yeah, and of course, and that's just the one alternative because the other alternative to your point is that they go and reinvent the wheel for the you know hundredth time and, yeah. and go and go and do the same research that a hundred people before them have done, which of course is equally frustrating and and expensive. Yeah, I mean, I, I always like the example, and I'll, I'll mention this because it's a local company but not a customer. But I always look at General Mills, and I think how many times has the new brand manager, because they change all the time, studied the buyer of a sugared cereal? Because it doesn't, you know, the, if you're buying Lucky Charms, you're buying, you know, Captain Crunch. It's mm -hmm. the same audience. But how many times has somebody said, I'm going to study this as if it's never been done before. And yet as a company, they've studied that same audience hundreds of times. Right. Good stuff. Okay. So now back to, you know, what's, what is, what, what's working well? So, you know, we've now talked about some of the, the challenges that, that every business faces, especially if you're trying to do new things and smart things to try and gain market share. Could you share with us what are, what are the things that, that are currently working well for you? I think Dan touched on it a bit, which is just, you know, going from pilot customers that were innovating and putting the toe in the water with deployments at, you know, 10 users and experimenting to this, the market has matured, our technology has matured. And, you know, commensurate to that, we have, you know, deployments with, you know, hundreds and thousands of users and getting, you know, and increasingly we're seeing more users every day that, and, and the system actually gives a feedback loop on this, where Lucy will say, I did save that user over an hour. I saved them, you know, I saved them hours of time. And, you know, those were things that were 
on a whiteboard and as a dream, you know, four years ago. But they're everyday occurrences. Actually, Dan and I get kind of excited. We get flagged with little notifications every time a user saves time. And so we've actually, you know, had to create mail rules that filter all this stuff away because it's happening constantly across this, you know, audience of users. And, you know, I suppose that's obsolete because we now have dashboards that tell us the same thing. But it's that evolution of the market, both our evolution as a company, evolution of product and evolution of our user base and evolution of the buyer mindset to realize they have a problem that can be solved and should be solved is all stuff that's working hand in hand to allow us to grow. Yeah, one of the one of the things is you know, we talk about the use case for Lucy and, and uh, because Lucy really can attack any data set and across all areas, we as a small company can't attack that as, as a as as our marketing efforts happen. So as an example, we've really focused in initially on marketing and research uh, and insights groups, partially because that's a big part of our history. So we know how to talk to them and we know exactly what they're trying to do. And so huge success there. But in in light of this this podcast, you know, sales enablement is a secondary but huge and growing market for Lucy, where we have, you know, recently for a pharmaceutical company rolled out, I shouldn't say recently, it's almost in the last year, but we've rolled out 450 in their sales organization, leveraging Lucy to access all of the content that allows them to be better in in, in documentation and sales. And this is a place where they had an existing system in a different light where they had access and where Lucy is, you know, uh, multiple times better at being able to access and find the documents and, and get those sales reps, which, you know, sales reps have 32 seconds for every question, right? They want it now, let's go, here's the answer. And it's been hugely successful. And we have other, you know, kind of sales enablement places, but Lucy's used in IT organizations for IT to support documentation. And, you know, we had back in the test days, we literally put in aircraft engine maintenance manuals and Lucy can find the answers there too. So great structured manuals are pretty easy for Lucy to to work with because uh, they're just written for you know, AI, it's like they're written for AI to be able to interpret and run with. And so across the board, Lucy's got great use cases. We spend a lot of time determining what those are, what the data is that matches, and then the success uh, happens by itself as the users adopt. Right. Yeah. I think, well, that's actually a great segue. So as you were talking about, you know, we were talking about the the insights folks and in, in in, we're typically in the marketing team part of marketing operations and now you're talking about sales enablement this is that's a potentially a great segue into of course which also is part of the the, the title of this podcast which is RevOps so RevOps champions where and for those of us who are unfamiliar with the term and again and and those who are unfamiliar with the term are typically folks who are outside of the technology space RevOps of course stands for revenue operations which is going to market as a company with one integrated team that is driving revenue versus a siloed marketing team from a siloed sales team from a siloed customer success team and and integrating them across their their processes their their data and of course then finally their technology so that the data flows through those processes into one single source of truth as we as we call it and enables them to to be more efficient and again we have the the winnings on the, the top line and the bottom line you know once again so thinking about 
that RevOps approach where you where you as as Lucy approaching the market as one revenue team versus three separate teams. Could you you know tell us a little bit about how you think about RevOps at, at Lucy? I think that it's been evolving because when we first began, we started with you know we started with two silos. You know we we've always been wired, and particularly because of our prior business, the idea that sales and marketing are just fully integrated. That you know you're, you you can't have these things separated. The marketing team is working hand in hand with sales. They're creating data every day through their systems that allows salespeople to be more dialed in and more effective. And the sales team has to pay attention to those cues. And that's really a byproduct of you know we spent years in marketing automation in the Magna 360 business. So when we started. We're like, all right, we're going to make sure that sales and marketing are integrated from day one. We're going to build the systems around that so that they're integrated from day one. But then we still had customer success as its own thing and its own silo. And to a degree, it makes sense because one is, you know, this five years ago, the concept of RevOps had evolved the way it has is today. Uh, the other is you don't have any customers yet. So like what, you know, well, now. In hindsight, you still should build these things ground up to be fully integrated, but we just didn't know. But you know, one of the things that happens is, you know, particularly we're B 2 B SaaS, so you know, the business model is around acquire a customer, grow a customer, and renew a customer. If you can keep your customers and make them and help them be successful, so that they can grow and so they renew, it just it creates an annuity and it's. It's a core part of the SaaS business model. Mm-hmm. So LTV, right? So lifetime yeah. value is, is one of the two main metrics of the SaaS company. Yeah. Well, renewal rates, your you know annual recurring revenue. You know, those are things that the VCs and investors you know jump all over. And so one of the things that became abundantly clear is that sales, marketing, and customer success need to be integrated and they must go hand in hand. And so we're still evolving in that in that journey, but we've become dramatically better. It means having a part of customer success that becomes account management. They're also tied into, you know, your CRM and marketing automation programs. You start thinking of them in what are the sales methodologies and marketing methodologies that impact that team that in our earlier iteration we would have said you know, hey, CS just is, you know, support and, you know, and, you know, help people out and, you know, sales can, can, you know, be responsible for renewals and growth, but it doesn't really work that way. The people that the customer is going to trust are going to be the people that are enabling their success with the platform day to day. And so we've really, over the last 18 months, evolved significantly the way customer success is integrated in with sales and marketing so that we can have a more holistic view of the customer relationship. And it ends up being a win-win for everybody. I mean, if we're doing, if we're providing technology that is delivering on what the promise is, if the customer success team, which is everything from they have implementers, they have customer support people, and then they have the account managers, if they can help the customer conquer their pain points, solve their problems, drive the efficiency that's been promised such that they're happy with the platform and they are growing and renewing. If those things all work hand in hand, you can have a business that can grow successfully. And so, you know, when we think about RevOps, we think about everything from the beginning of the funnel where it's a prospect 
to how do we start to better understand, oh, and actually the other thing we do in the sales funnel now is we start doing more consulting work to understand, to listen to the customer, understand their pain points, develop the user persona models that we're building the system against, deliver those persona models into customer success who then can model all forms of implementation in support of the system to match what is the understood pain of the customer and the problem we're trying to solve. And if we can then measure against it and solve it, you have a customer that can grow, succeed, renew, and that builds the business. But those things are integrated in a way that a few years ago they weren't because we weren't mature enough, the RevOps thing wasn't as evolved enough, and we didn't have enough customer scaling to make it really work anyways, but now we do. Right, yeah. Now, I think the way you you wrap that up, I think, is, is, is the way that we think about it. And, and I think if anyone has one takeaway from this this episode today, it's if you think of the cost, if you, again, if you're solving for the customer, therefore, you're putting the customer at the center and you wrap marketing, sales and customer service as one team around the customer, everybody will will benefit. The customer will benefit from having a better experience and the business will benefit, again, top line, bottom line. But one of the biggest hidden values that we've seen in in the work that we're doing, that's kind of a, a very serious bonus, especially today with a challenge of, of talent, is it is a huge factor in retaining some of your best talent because when when teams are working in a in an integrated way and everyone's clear who's doing what and the handoffs are clear and the inf- and they the visibility to the data is always clear people are happier at work and you know so that that's kind of the, the the big bonus that we're seeing right now is that you have happier employees when you when you do this one of the things that we discovered through the process is and, and and had heard for years in other businesses was, you know, this, the sales rep gets rewarded for all the hard work of the customer success or delivery teams. And so over time, we've had, you know, tried to do better to have incentives and rewards across the organization based on those deliveries. But by including customer success in that process, they they feel that ownership that they've always had, but also now the rewards for that ownership. Mm-hmm. And in all fairness, I have to say that the mentality that's driven us to a more integrated business has come from an integrated leadership team that we have listened to. It's the, you know, our head of customer success has been paramount in this journey, in this evolution on how we drive these things that are integrated. Like Dan and I thought we've always been kind of ahead of the game as far as integration of sales and marketing, but, but it's, it's been driven by the team as well. And they've and we've got a great team. It's important we listen to them because they've got great ideas, and that's been part of the journey for us too. Absolutely. So that being said, we we still know that there, the majority of of businesses out there, again, primarily outside of the technology and SaaS space, are are not doing this. And I, and I want to so I want to come back to what I was saying earlier about what what got you to where you are is not going to get you to where you're going. There are so many successful businesses who, you know, I used to think, well, they just, they almost did it by mistake, but clearly there was a lot of hard work and perseverance and grit that got them, you know, to success. But that does not mean that they will continue to be successful if they are closed to leveraging technology. So if you had a message 
to give to businesses who have been, you know, business leaders, really, right, who have been afraid of technology for whatever reason. Uh, it could just be the fact that they're, they, 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 they haven't grown up with technology and because they've been very successful their entire careers without technology. What, what, are some, what is some advice that you could give business leaders like that to, to be more open to, to adopting technology as part of their mechanism for, for scaling and growing? You know, it's interesting. One of our core values is constant evolution. And we assume that we have to evolve, and, and, but it has to become a core competency also, right? So things change, times change, and we need to be open and adapt to those. And, you know, we're, we're, while we're entrepreneurs in the tech space, this is a gray beard, right? I've, I've been, <laughs> we've been at it a long time. And so you, you can't be afraid of, of these new technologies and adoption. And I go back, I, I, you know, I spent a decade at 3M early in my career and the internet came along and, and, you know, people were afraid of it. And, and, and the number one use of the internet at that time, uh, internet email only was, you know, middle-aged managers communicating with their college students and people, and we were then paying by the transaction. My answer then was, oh my God, that's great. Cause they're going to know how to do it when we need to be able to do it. You have to have this attitude of, um, we got we have to try these new technologies. We have to be aware of what they are. We have to, you know, survey and not just cause it's a shiny object. We don't want to implement shiny objects. We want to implement business purpose. How can this be used for competitive advantage? How can we, you know, lead. And you know, again, going back to crossing the chasm with Jeffrey Moore, we have this, there's this technology adoption life cycle. And so we're not saying everybody needs to be on the bleeding edge innovators, but you, you have to be, you know, even an early adopter or what they call the herd, but the, you need to be on the front end of the herd. And that's really where most businesses feel comfortable is to be in that group of adopters, but they got to watch what's happening. And uh, you're going to be out competed very quickly if you're not not playing the same game as everyone else. And so again, it's your natural reaction is to be reticent to hold back, but open, open your eyes, read, learn, and then and get yourself comfortable with technology. And, and it, it, not, it doesn't have to be scary. Uh, the other thing is great vendors can help you in this case, where you have people who are doing this type of work, who understand and aren't just doing it again for that bleeding edge, but the ones that are working with, you know, the, the solid blue chip fortune 1000 type companies, it's just, a, it just becomes a great opportunity and they can help you bring in those technologies and leverage them. Awesome, Scott. Did you would you have anything to to add as as advice to to leaders? Again, assuming that they're leaders of of, of companies that are not technology companies, that they might be more open to adopting technology as part of their solution to grow. Yeah, I mean, I'm totally aligned with Dan's answer, and I'll just I'll just add: it's fun to be inquisitive as the leader as the entrepreneur. It's good to think about how the world is changing and how it's going to have an impact on the business. It's good to think about how can I be better than I was yesterday. And the world has changed so much. You just can't sit still or you're going to put yourself in a penalty box of your own creation. Great. You know, one, one of the things that, that, I, that I wanted to make sure I mentioned today is, in, and you've, you've both mentioned, you know, your prior success 
at at Magna 360. And I think you're both aware of this because we've we've known each other for for a few years now. But you know, you 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 might not know uh, what an inspiration you you both were, in fact, to us when you know when when we brought Dynamico. You know, Dynamico was founded in in Spain, which is why we ended up with a name that is based on the Spanish word dinamico, which is the Spanish for dynamic. When we moved to to Minnesota in 2012 and reincorporated Dynamico here, you know, we started reading the business journal, as a lot of people in, in business do. And and very early on, and of course, one of our favorite things that came out every year was the Fast 50, which of course, you guys have been on, I don't know how many times. And we started looking at the things that were, what were the commonalities and the, the, the threads that were leading to success of the companies on the Minnesota Fast 50? And one of them was was this the, the rise of EOS, which of course, I know you are huge evangelists for as well. But again, whether it's EOS or some business operating system, that, that's again at the core of a lot of the stuff that we're talking about. But the, the other thing was, was, of course, you know, how you had built your business, you know, around a software company called Salesforce.com. And that was a huge inspiration for us because, of course, you know, Salesforce is, is still the, the market leader when it comes to CRM which again is what we believe should be at the core in that, in other words, that single source of truth is typically a, a CRM and, and Salesforce has been the leader in that space for since, since they've been around. And the, you know, again, just, I wanted to make sure I, I, I thanked you here publicly for, for inspiring us to go in that route. And of course, which led to us eventually becoming a, a HubSpot partner in, in 2014 and we've essentially built and grown our business in the same, exactly the same way, sort of using as much of the playbook as we could figure out from Magnet 360 that you that you did. We're we're trying to replicate with with you know at, at Dynamico, and it's 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 just such a, an incredible space to be in, where you can you can take amazing software, whether it's whether it's one solution. But now, nowadays, typically our, our clients have anywhere from you know seventeen different pieces of software that we're integrating for them. The most common ones, of course, are going to be HubSpot because that's what we focus on. But in many cases, they still use the the Salesforce CRM, and we then integrate with with the CRM and again create that RevOps system around their their data and data and processes. So again, so thank you again for for your for your inspiration and of course for for joining me here today and, and sharing your your knowledge and and all the value with with our our guests. And so in in closing, did you have any any other questions or thoughts for either for me or or our listeners? Well, you know the the great thing as we talk about RevOps and. And an opportunity is, you know, we appreciate the compliment, but and hopefully have inspired you to do better, and and all to accomplish more than Absolutely. we we've been able to do. That nothing makes us happier than to watch the entrepreneurial economy, and specifically in Minnesota and the Twin Cities, but really across the globe, and and we have had our hands in nurturing and mentoring and growing and leading watching those who have been part of the part of our earlier successes become and eclipse us nothing makes us happier that's actually one of our uh, proudest legacies 
is just how many alumni of our ventures have gone off and created companies from, you know, Code 42 to SmartThings to Instratus, Relationship One, Instereo, and, and others. And we just love seeing people that we've worked with going off and creating things. And then beyond that, you know, we co-founded the Minnesota Cup which has had, you know, what are we at, 15,000 participants over the last 16 years. And, you know, if we can do our part to pay it forward and make Minnesota a better ecosystem for companies to successfully, or for entrepreneurs to successfully build companies, you know, we're, we get pretty excited about that. Yeah, and in fact, and that's, that's another, another sort of point of, of, of how you've inspired us. So when we had the opportunity to start working in the, in the startup space here in, in Minneapolis and St. Paul, through beta, you know, right. beta.mn and, and Twin Cities Startup Week, we, we got behind it, you know, 100%. And, and we've been a sponsor now of those organizations. And are very, in fact, I just sent an email uh, yesterday to Casey and Kelly over there, just again, saying how proud we are to be supporters of the, of the startup space here in, in Minnesota. So again, another, another leaf out of, out of your book. So thank you for that. Scott and Dan, thank you so much for being here today. And please help us spread the word about the importance of and, and the value of RevOps in whatever business and whatever industry. Thank you. Thank you for checking out this episode of RevOps Champions. This show is powered by Dynamico, a HubSpot consulting firm helping businesses level up the technology systems that power their ability to scale. If you enjoyed what you learned in this episode, make sure to follow RevOps Champions wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts or visit RevOpsChampions.com to get immediate access to all of the latest episodes.